We are involved in a study of 1 John, and we are continuing in this video class in chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The first epistle of John provides good practical instruction with motivation regarding life in relationship with God. It is addressed to Christians, but should capture the interest of non-Christians. It is about relationship with God one can enjoy through Jesus Christ. Here's 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, this passage begins with a prohibition, but first, there is a key word we need to define. It is vital to know what John means when he uses the term world. He isn't talking about the physical universe. He isn't talking about humanity in general. He's talking about all the attitudes, tendencies, culturally popular systems, all the sin, false teaching, everything antagonistic to God, but also include our attachment to this world, our attachment to our present existence. Let me clarify. No question we are not to love what is sinful. No question we are not to love the direction toward evil that is characteristic of our modern society. Do not love the world applies. But there is a love for the world that may not involve direct participation in sin. Rather, an affection for this present life that does not account for the truth about eternity and God and the death of Christ for us and does not account for the fact that the world is passing away. Let me explain further. Worldliness historically has been defined in connection with very specific wrong behaviors, sexual immorality, drunkenness. There shouldn't be any hesitation to identify these behaviors as worldly and to be avoided. But let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Are there people who do not drink at all and have no involvement in sexual immorality, but they are worldly, they are materialistic, they're putting this present life ahead of relationship with God. They're not seeking first the kingdom. They're involved so much in the things of this world and the love for the things of this world, being a disciple of Christ, has become secondary. So I shouldn't think of this present world just in terms of a list of specific behaviors. 
there is a mindset that is so devoted to this present existence. Kingdom obligations are neglected. I like to put it this way. You cannot be married to God and enjoy an affair with the world at the same time. You cannot be married to God and enjoy an affair with the world at the same time. I read this from Joel Beakey several years ago. The goal of worldly people is to move forward rather than upward, to live horizontally rather than vertically. They seek after outward prosperity rather than holiness. They burst with selfish desires. If they do not deny God, they ignore and forget him, or else they use him, they think, only for their selfish ends. Now, John wants us to not fall in love with the world. John warns us not to fall in love with the world, and he uses three key identifying phrases. And most of our time now will be spent with these three phrases. And the first is the desires of the flesh or the lust of the flesh. Sometimes in the Bible, the word flesh has reference to the physical body, skin, muscles, tissue, bone structure. And sometimes in the Bible, the word flesh simply means human existence or humanity. We live in the flesh. But in this context, and especially with the word lust, this is about self-seeking appetite that puts you in opposition to God. Self-seeking appetite that puts you in opposition to God. In actual practice, this might express itself in some of those behaviors I mentioned earlier. Sexual immorality, drunkenness, recreational drug use, overindulgence of any kind, driven by appetite. Think of desire or appetite not refused but fulfilled. This can be said. The lust of the flesh is active when you want to do it and it feels good to think about it. So you go ahead knowing it is wrong but gradually dismissing in your mind how offensive it is to God. Appetite. Turn to Galatians 5, 16 to 24. Galatians 5, 16 to 24. Sometimes it's good to pause the video and bring up the passage and then resume. Galatians 5, 16 through 24. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that <clears throat> those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul and John want to take us to the fruit of the Spirit and away from the works of the flesh. Think of desire, appetite, not refused, but fulfilled. That's the idea. Another part of this world we must not fall in love with, another phrase that identifies how we can be pulled into worldly considerations, the desires of the eyes, the lust of the eyes. Here's what can happen to pull us away from God into the world. We see something and want it. We are captivated just by the sight of it, and we're drawn into sin through the eyes. Uh, who do you think does this today? I'll tell you who in our society knows how to use this tool very well. Advertisers. In modern advertising and marketing, we are invited over and over to look at pictures and images of things that look so attractive just the sight pulls us in and arouses the inner appetite. It's inviting. Tell you what, since we have the technology here in video, let me illustrate the lust of the eyes. I won't have to say anything about this next image. I'll just pull this image up and let you look at it, and you'll understand what we're talking about. We're illustrating the lust of the eyes. Now, eating the cheeseburger may or may not be wrong, depending upon your diet and how many you eat, but I'm illustrating how advertisers use visual images to attract us and to arouse appetite. What they want to do is get us in the door with our wallet open are <clears throat> on the phone so we can order for takeout. Well, the devil does the same thing. If the devil can get you to look at something, he can get you to think about it. And if he can get you to look at it and think about it, he might get you to commit to it and consume it, if not now, later. And this is the problem with uh, immodesty, patronizing violence in movies and pornography. And this is the danger built into a lot of our visual media. <clears throat> the devil uses images, video, eye candy to cause us to think about things inherently worldly. And if he can get us to think about it, we may participate in it personally. This started a long time ago, this tactic of the devil. Genesis 3 and verse 6 when the woman saw that the tree was good for food 
and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. She saw something. It looked good. It sounded good. She took it and shared it. And that kind of thing is still happening today. I found this quotation I'm going to share with you, and I'll give you the source after the quote. Our affluent and technologically advanced society brings the world to our doorstep, into our homes, into our very presence. It baits our eyes and tickles our ears. We're saturated with media-bombarded images on television and movie screens by music on our iPods. We have unlimited access, text messages on our cell phones, internet access on our laptops and handheld devices. While some of these methods are not inherently evil, so often they're vehicles of Satan bringing sin not just to our front door, but into our living rooms and our bedrooms and, of course, our lives. And that's from Mahaney in a book called Worldliness, Resisting the Seduction of a Fallen World. Third, there's the pride of life. That's another avenue of temptation that can take us away from God and out into the world, this present existence. Uh, this is just that old desire to outshine others. It's a desire for praise and self-elevation. We live in a very competitive culture. Part of capitalism is competition. There should be a mature sense of wisdom about any involvement in competition. And some forms of competition should have no endorsement or participation by Christians. Part of what makes competition powerful is being praised, being on top, being number one. That feels good to receive an award, to be popular, favored, exalted, well-known. That all feels good in the case of Eve. She saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Pride of life. The devil can use that impulse to pull us away from God into the world. If the devil can get us thinking that it's all about me, I'm great, his work is done. If we have to have constant feeding of our ego, if we manipulate people to notice us and pay attention to us and exaggerate our sense of self-importance, that's the pride of life. The world is that realm that is apart from God and antagonistic to God through inner appetite, visual temptation, and pride. The devil can take us away from God into this dark realm the world. So let's take a renewed awareness with us out of this study that there is this pressure 
This temptation, the capacity to walk away from God, maybe gradually, into a place that has no good future. Verse 17, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Having a love affair with the world has no future. What has future and eternal promise is doing the will of God. I've decided this time that my takeaways are going to be other passages that teach the same thing that's taught in this passage. Ephesians 2 verse 2. Paul says that before the Ephesians became Christians, they were following the course of the world. Genuine conversion, therefore, is a change of course from following the course of the world to following Christ. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure religion not only responds to human needs, Pure religion and undefiled religion means keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. And I'll tell you, in this next passage, we discover something we ought to know, that God is a jealous God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. So I ought not to conform. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to be heavenly-minded. John MacArthur tells of a man who said, please, God, he prayed this, this man, please, God, don't take me to heaven yet. I haven't even been to Hawaii. And would you consider that to whatever extent we love God thoroughly and we obey Christ and we want to go to heaven, we can by faith, overcome the world. My friend Mark Roberts has said, the real antidote to worldliness is heavenliness. Isn't that good? The real antidote to worldliness is heavenliness. Thank you for being a part of this study of 1 John 2, 15 through 17.